0: Today on Let the Bible Speak. The New Testament reveals the church that Jesus built, but what form did it take as it was being built? We continue our series on the church of the New Testament next. Good morning and welcome. I'm glad you're here to look into the Word of God together. It's a pleasure to be your host for Let the Bible Speak, as always. We're exploring the church as it is described in the Bible. Today is another lesson in our series about the New Testament church. So far, we've learned about its origin, how it was in the mind of God from before the foundation of the world. It was His creation. It was foretold by the prophets and finally brought to reality by Christ and revealed by the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. Christ established His church on the first Pentecost after His death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. It is the only church He ever began to build and He has built it according to His own wisdom and not man's. So if we wish to learn anything worthwhile about that church, we need to turn to the scripture for it furnishes us with all that God has revealed about it. Mankind has changed it through the centuries, but the church, as it is revealed in the New Testament, is what Jesus meant when He said that He would build His church. And no other person, great or small, known or unknown, has authority from God to build a religious organization and call it the church. Only Christ has that prerogative. And that He did, and it is described for us in the Word of God. I hope we're all interested in learning about that church and seeking to be that church and that church alone. And I humbly submit to you that if we are to resemble the New Testament church and not another, we must look to the New Testament for our authority and our example in serving the Lord as the church. Today, I'd like for us to look closely at the visible form of that church. While it is true that every baptized believer is part of that church, The church has characteristics of organization. Not just any organization, but the kind of form and arrangement that Christ gave it when He built it and revealed it through the apostles. We want to view the New Testament record today and see what the church looked like as an organization. What form did it take and how was it to be organized? And is the church following that same arrangement today? In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, Paul shows us that the church resulted from Christ's work on earth and His consequent enthronement in heaven. And he writes, And one is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ not only built his church according to his own promise in Matthew 16, verse 18, but he presently rules over it from heaven. In our lesson today, we will consider the form of the New Testament church after a song.
1: Often here we are filled with such sorrow when loved ones are taken at their shore.
0: Last week we learned how the church began on the day of Pentecost after the ascension and enthronement of Jesus Christ. But what exactly is that church? How is it defined and what visible form did it take? How did the Lord organize His church and how should that compare to what we see today when trying to identify the church in today's confusing sea of diverse religion? We want to turn to the records of the apostles, the New Testament Scriptures for the answer to those questions. In other words, we need to let the Bible speak as opposed to the many voices of man and the traditions that have evolved through the centuries. Let's go all the way back to the beginning and let's see what we can learn about the form and organization of the church as it was originally revealed in the New Testament. And this is not just an historical exercise, but surely we desire to model the church as it existed under the auspices of the inspired apostles. First what do we mean when we speak of the church? What comes to mind when you hear the word church? Well, for many, it's a physical location, a sacred spot, perhaps a cathedral or a place of worship. And there are several reasons for that conclusion. One, the Old Testament imagery of a temple where God's presence was manifest among His people. Uh, Two, we're very accustomed to going to a designated place to worship with other Christians. But number three, the English word church actually refers to a physical structure where worship occurs, but that's the English word. The Greek word that is usually translated church is actually ekklesia, which means to call out or an assembly. Now when Jesus and the apostles said or wrote ekklesia, that later translators rendered church, when they said ekklesia they were always referring to a group or some kind of assembly of people. So we should think of the church in those terms as well. The structure a church may or may not meet in is really immaterial and unimportant, but the assembly itself is what is important to God and is what Christ had in view when He promised to build His church. Now then, that term assembly is used in three different ways in the New Testament. First, it sometimes has reference to the, we might call it, worldwide assembly throughout time of all of those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, in this case, it's not a physical assembly in a particular location, but it's talking more about the spiritual relationship of saved people to Christ and thus one another and not not a physical gathering or a visible organization as we might think of such. Now, Since church or ecclesia means to call out, when used in this universal sense, it's referring to all of the people who have been called out of the world into a relationship with God through Christ. It's talking about saved people. Not only did Jesus describe this in Matthew 16, the writer of Hebrews would later refer thus to the church in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Well, obviously, he is referring to all people here whose names are written in the book of life, upon their placing their faith in Christ, repenting of their sins, and being washed in the blood of Christ by being baptized for the remission of their sins, thus being saved. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2 that those who did those very things were added by the Lord to the church. Acts 2 verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his, Peter's, word, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Added to what? Well, verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, referring to believers everywhere he went, Paul remorsefully recounted in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, that he, quote, persecuted the church of God. And there's several other references to the church in this generic conceptual universal sense so please note that the first way that the bible uses the term church simply refers to a spiritual concept a relationship of people to christ throughout all time and throughout the world of whom christ is their redeemer and over whom christ is head the first century apostles of christ are the executors of christ's will and thus his church is built upon the foundation of the truths that those apostles preached and wrote down by the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul taught this in Ephesians chapter two. Now, there is no earthly organization to the church when it's referred to in this sense. In other words, Christ did not set up any earthly headquarters to govern the universal church. For the apostles were eventually scattered over the face of the earth. So there was no locality that served as some headquarters. Uh, He did not establish any hierarchy of power or governing authority over the universal church. In fact, any such efforts were made by uninspired men after the days of the apostles and simply not taught in the New Testament. So let me repeat, the universal church is not a human earthly organization It has no headquarters but heaven. It has no head but Jesus Christ. It has no officers save the apostles who facilitated its establishment and revelation unto men for all time. It has no charter or creed except for the gospel the apostles preached and the doctrines that they taught. Rather, when the church is used in this universal sense, it is a term describing the spiritual community of baptized believers in Christ. But where the church takes on a visibly organized and functioning form is when those people are bonded together into a local body and this is where what is purely spiritual and more conceptual where it becomes physical and more practical thus most times the word church is found in the scriptures it's referring not to the universal collection of all who are saved it's referring to a local body of believers or a localized congregation of the church of Christ. Paul opens his first letter to the congregation in Corinth by saying, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, 1 Corinthians 1 verse two. Well, here he obviously refers to a local church that meets and works together, that would hear his letter read, that formed the body of Christ in that place, and then he says there are others like them in many other places. Sometimes congregations are referred to as being in the same region or being of the same national background. For example, Acts 9, verse 31 says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Well, Luke wasn't referring to groups of churches as regional organizations or units of churches, but he was merely referring to the churches scattered throughout a particular part of the world. I might speak of the churches throughout, let's say, Oklahoma. Well, I don't mean that the congregations in Oklahoma form some district or some organizational uh, body distinct from churches, say, in Texas. I'm simply referring to congregations located in a similar area. In Acts 15, verse 41, it says that Paul and Silas went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Same thing, you see. And then in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So again, same thing. You have the churches scattered throughout Asia. One of those in particular was the church that met in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. Again, same concept. But then we find where Paul in Romans chapter 16, verses three through five refers to the church like this. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Well, You see, when he speaks of the churches of the Gentiles, he's not delineating one group of churches from another organizationally or doctrinally or in any way akin to a denomination. He's simply referring to churches in the Roman Empire who were made up of converts out of other nations besides the Jews. In fact, he told the Galatian church that in Christ there is no such thing as Jew nor Gentile as far as one's spiritual relationship, but that both are one in Christ his reference to churches of the Gentiles merely spoke of their location and their ethnic background, not their doctrinal position or their being distinguishable from other churches in faith or practice. So we have the church being referred to as the universal collection of all baptized believers in Christ. Then we have local churches scattered throughout the world and concentrations of those churches in a given geographical area. And then there is another way those local churches are referred to And that is as the gathering or the literal assembly of that local church. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 28, when Paul instructs them on how to conduct their assemblies and someone speaks in a language the others do not speak and understand, he says, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. And then down in verses 34 and 35, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Well, here obviously he's referring to the church as it physically comes together in an assembly. Uh, We sometimes sloppily use phrases such as, I went to church or people need to go to church. And it's quickly pointed out by someone that church is not a place but a people, that we are the church, and yes, that's, that's very true. But there is a sense in which the church refers to a particular people assembled together in a particular place at a particular time. And so if we mean it in that sense, we could say we are going to church, as in we are going to the physical assembly of the saints. So now, put all of that together, what have we learned? The word church can refer to the universal collection of all scripturally baptized believers. It does not include those not baptized into the body of Christ, by the way, Acts two forty one and 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. But it can also refer to a local congregation of baptized believers who together form the body of Christ in that city or that locality. It can also refer to that local body when it is physically assembled into one place. Now that's how the Bible employs the word church. What you don't find in all of that is the concept of a denomination or an array of denominations that represent different factions of the so- so-called universal church. In fact, the Bible plainly condemns such in first Corinthians chapter one and in other passages such as division and the Bible condemns division. You don't read of any organization larger, get this now, you do not read in the scripture of any organization larger than a local church and smaller than the universal church. A denomination implied by one facet of the term itself as one part of many making up the whole? That's not a concept described in or sanctioned by Scripture. That's the product of man's thinking, you see, and divisions among men. And it should become an unfortunate thing of the past. Christ built one church. And of that church, believers in a given locality form a functioning local body and assemble together as that local body to worship and to be edified and to serve the Lord together. That's the simple picture we have in the New Testament of the church. Now then, our focus can begin to shift to the only level where there is any visible organization and that is the local church. How were local churches in the New Testament organized? In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, we read where Paul says, And he, Christ himself, gave some to be apostles. Now those were the men Christ personally chose and set over the entire church. And those men, by the way, still governed the church through their inspired writings, the New Testament scriptures. But he gave some apostles and some prophets. Well, this too refers to inspired men in the first century church who guided the church through supernaturally imparted knowledge in the absence of the completed scriptures. But then he says some evangelists, well, these were men who were sent out to preach the gospel, to make converts and establish and spiritually develop new congregations of the church throughout the world. And then he says some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now notice he starts on at the beginning and on the large scale, and he brings it right down to the local level. He says, you have apostles and prophets. These were the men through whom the Holy Spirit spoke, that the Holy Spirit guided in the first century to reveal to us the faith, to reveal to us those things that Uh, the church believes and practices. And then you have evangelists, men who are sent out to spread that message that was originally given to us by the apostles and prophets. These evangelists are not inspired men, but they're men who take the knowledge of the word of God and they go out and they preach the gospel, they baptize people who believe the gospel, and they form, they establish congregations of the Lord's church and they develop, they spiritually develop those congregations and help bring them and guide them to maturity. And then he hones it right down to the local level when he speaks of pastors and teachers. Now the pastors that Paul refers to are not preachers in the sense that people call preachers pastors today. I know that it's an almost universal practice in modern religion, but it's a misnomer. That that idea is not biblical. Pastors refers to shepherds and it's not merely a preacher or a teacher. Now all pastors must certainly teach the word of God but not all teachers of the word of god are what the bible calls pastors pastors rather are shepherds of the local flock and that's not the job of the evangelist it's not the job of the preacher as most people think of preachers rather the term pastor refers to an elder who is appointed in the local church and that's a distinct um, that's a distinct role it's a distinct uh, uh portion of service within the local church now notice what Luke says happened when Paul was about to depart Miletus in Acts chapter 20. In Acts 20 and uh, in verse 17, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And then in verse 28, he is speaking to those elders and he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The elders is who he's talking to. Notice that he's calling the elders of Ephesus together to speak to them. He says the elders were what? They were overseers. What were they overseers of? Well, they were to shepherd the flock. They were to oversee the flock. What flock? The flock they were among. Well, what was the flock they were among? The congregation at Ephesus over which they were elders. Who were these elders, also known as overseers, also known as shepherds, also known as pastors? You see, it's the same idea, it's the same role, it's the same, it's the same uh, office, if you wanna use that term. They're all the same people. They were men who were appointed by evangelists to oversee the local church after meeting certain qualifications. And those elders were to be appointed in every church to oversee that particular church. Now that paradigm has been largely replaced with other forms of government and administration today. And in our next lesson, the Lord willing, we're going to go into greater detail about the Lord's original way of organizing the local church. How did he intend for the local church to be set up? The church of the New Testament as as existed from city to city and place to place in the first century, how was it governed? What was the framework? And has that changed through the centuries? And if so, how? I hope you will plan to join me next week as we continue our study on the Church of the New Testament by talking about its organization. I'll return to let you know how to get a copy of today's lesson in just a moment, after another song.
1: There is beyond the azure blue A God concealed from human sight
0: Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts, plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak Classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. We're out of time for today, but we're going to continue along this train of thought next week, the Lord willing, and we're going to talk about the government of the local church and see what the Bible says about that and compare that to what has evolved in the centuries since Jesus did build his church and the the apostles established congregations of the church all throughout the world in the first century. So join us for that study. And in fact, I hope you'll join us for every single one of these studies in this series on the New Testament church and let's learn together. If you'd like a copy of today's lesson, we'd be happy to send it to you. The title of the lesson today is The Form of the New Testament Church. The Form of the New Testament Church. And if you'll request it by that title, we'll get that transcript to you as soon as we can. It's free of cost. Remember, we're online at LTBSTV.org. We're on social media, so be sure to connect with us there and make your plans if the Lord wills to join me back here next time for another Bible study. Until then, have a wonderful week ahead and I'll look forward to meeting you back here next time. Have a great week, and may God bless you.
1: Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by the Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org.